Uh, welcome to RUF. Uh, my name is Thomas. I'm the campus minister here. Uh, like we say every week at RUF, we believe that you're never so bad that you're beyond the reach of God's grace. And at the same time, you're never so good that you're beyond the need of God's grace. And so that means wherever you find yourself uh, on the spectrum of belief to unbelief, on the spectrum of health to unhealth, uh, we're glad that you're here. Uh, this is a place where you can come and you can wrestle with who Jesus is and what that might mean for your life. Uh, at RUF, we want you to leave every week with a sense um, that God is good and he is kind to you in Jesus. Uh, and every uh, week at RUF, we go through a sermon series. Um, so this semester, we're going through the Sermon on the Mount, uh, which the Sermon on the Mount is Jesus' kind of greatest hits. Uh, Matthew chapter 5 through 7, Jesus talks about all sorts of things. He's, he's basically riffing on the Ten Commandments. And he's giving us this idea of, of what it means to live the good life. What does it mean to, to follow him in a world that often doesn't feel very good? Uh, and today we're going to be talking about anxiety. We're talking about anxiety from uh, the passage Brooklyn just read. So uh, I want to pause now and pray for us, and then we can go ahead and get started. So let's pray. Our Father, uh, we do thank you for this opportunity to get together uh, in person um, and to study uh, what it is that you have to say to us. Uh, Lord, as we consider a topic like anxiety, uh, I'm mindful of the fact that uh, that's something that isn't theoretical, uh, probably for anyone in this room. Uh, This is something that we think about often, something that many of us experience um, in varying degrees And so, Lord, I do pray um, that you would be gentle to us uh, through your word. Uh, Lord, your your word says that anxiety weighs a man's heart down, but a good word makes him glad. I pray, Lord, that we would be gladdened by your word as we consider what you have to say about anxiety tonight. Lord, we need your spirit to come and to show us who you are. Um, So, Lord, will you do what you promised to do? All these things I ask in Jesus' name. Amen. So I don't really have to tell you, uh, we live in an anxious age. We live in a time that is uh, controlled by anxiety. I don't know if you were paying attention for the last five years or so, uh, but we have had a couple polarizing elections. Uh, We have had a global pandemic. You might have heard of it. It's called COVID-19. We've had several forest fires. There's been mass shootings. There's been economic downturns and then turned back up and then turned down again. Uh, it's almost as if if you've been alive for the past couple years, which we all have, if you're not anxious, you're not paying attention. We live in a time where, where anxiety is just kind of the air that we breathe because everything that we thought was secure, we all of a sudden have learned in the past couple years, it's not as secure as we thought. Um, you can't really measure things like anxiety in a society Um, But one thing that you can kind of observe is uh, gun sales. Generally speaking, when uh, people are feeling secure, gun sales drop. When people are feeling really anxious, gun sales rise. Uh, In the year 2020, there were more guns sold in America than any year before. Uh, In 2020, there were 23 million guns sold in the United States. Uh, And for comparison, in in, uh, 2019, there were 13.9 million Uh, So that's a 65% increase. And this isn't just the typical people that you would think are buying guns, right? Like, you know, your conservative uncle on Facebook. Uh, It's like, it's everyone. 
Uh, it's all across the board. There was a gun salesman interviewed uh, that I recently heard about. He said, people, regardless of color, regardless of social background, economic status, people in, this, in these past couple years have said to themselves, okay, if we don't have food next week, what are we going to do to protect ourselves and our families? And later they interviewed a uh, single mom of three, and she said, it just seems like we live in chaos, and buying a gun is giving me some kind of control over that chaos. Now, I don't tell this story to make any sort of commentary on guns, whether good or bad, and you might not be like, you know, itching to buy a gun. Uh, but what I can say is I think we can all relate to this longing for security that would lead someone to do something like buying a gun. You see, we don't like feeling powerless. We don't like feeling like we're dwelling in a world of anxiety. We want something to keep us secure. Um, and because we want to be secure, this longing for security, it often leads us to anxiety. It leads us to a place where we can kind of start thinking, if I don't protect myself, if I don't protect the things that I love, no one will. That's what anxiety feels like. And so tonight in this passage, Jesus meets us in this anxious longing for security, and he shows us how we can be less anxious. So as we look at this passage tonight, we're going to consider this question, how can we become less anxious people? How can we become less anxious people? And Jesus kind of has a three-step process for us in this passage. First, stop seeking our own anxious kingdoms. Second, study our Heavenly Father's care. And third, start seeking the secure kingdom of God. So stop, study, and start. And I'll repeat those as we go through it if you didn't get it. So first off, uh, we stop. Jesus calls us to stop seeking our own anxious kingdoms. And so the first thing that Jesus has to say to us in the midst of our anxiety is stop. <laughs> and that is kind of counterintuitive. Uh, because if you've ever experienced anxiety, which I know all of us have, uh, that is the exact opposite thing that you want to do when you're feeling anxious. Anxiety speeds you up, right? At its core, anxiety is you're, you're looking at the world around you, feeling threatened, and you're overexerting your agency. You're saying, like, if I don't do something about this, no one will. And in the face of this, Jesus says, stop what you're doing. He says in verse 25, uh, Do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink, nor about your body, what you will put on. Uh, these are all basic needs. Jesus is essentially saying, uh, stop worrying about these basic needs. Stop worrying about what you're going to eat, what you're going to drink, what you're going to wear. You don't need to worry about that. So for us, that, that can be a little bit like offensive on some level. Um, no one likes to be told, right, like, stop worrying. Uh, but for Jesus' audience, this would have been even harder. Okay, the, these folks would have known what it's like to go without a meal. They would have known what it's like to not know where they were going to sleep. They would have known what it's like to have your one piece of clothing get ripped. They would have been very familiar with that. Um, Jesus' original audience, when they hear Jesus saying, stop worrying about your basic needs, they would have pushed back and said, Jesus, that's what keeps us alive, is worrying about our basic needs. 
So it, is Jesus, in saying this, uh, is Jesus kind of like punching down? Is Jesus, in saying, uh, don't worry about your life, don't be anxious, is he just looking at them and saying, stop it? I don't know if you've seen that uh, SNL skit. I want to say it's from the 90s. It's Bob Newhart who played Papa Elf and Elf. He's a psychologist. And this woman comes into his office and she says, I have this terrifying fear of being buried alive. And he says, oh, okay, well, I've got, I've got a solution for you. Two words. Uh, and she's like, should I write them down? He's like, well, I, I think you'll be able to remember it. And she's like, he's like, okay, here it is. And he just says, stop it. Stop it. Stop this fear of being buried alive. That sounds like a horrible way to live. Stop it. Right? I think all of us on some level, we've experienced someone saying something like that to us when we've had strong emotions, whether it's fear or or anxiety. We've had probably some well-intentioning person in our life say something like, you should stop feeling that way. Or say something like, you don't need to worry because all worry does is make things worse. Here's the problem with that. What they said is just completely true. (laughs) Worry does make things worse. But the problem with that is that it's also completely mean. (laughs) It's not kind. You know what it's like to to be told that? And that does you no good. You feel completely missed. Uh, Is that what Jesus is doing here? I want to say emphatically, no, that's not what Jesus is doing. Uh, And there are several reasons for that. But the, the best way that I can think of saying this is, Jesus is saying this as a man without a mortgage. He's saying this as a man who did not have a house. He's saying this as a man who did not have a closet. He's saying this as a man who probably had one change of clothes. He's saying this as a man who within the last week probably had to skip, food, skip a meal because he didn't have food. And he's saying this as a man who would probably have to skip another meal later that week because he wouldn't have food. You see, when Jesus says, stop seeking your own anxious kingdoms, he is doing it as someone who knows the temptation to worry intimately. He's not saying it from the suburbs. Jesus is saying this as someone with calloused hands and who can't afford a vacation. Right? He knows what it means to be tempted to worry. Jesus isn't standing at the top of a pit yelling, hey, you shouldn't have fallen in there. What Jesus is doing is he's down in the pit with us, and he says, I know how to get out of here. So what I want to say just on the front end, when Jesus says to us, stop seeking our own anxious kingdoms, he's not doing so from a place of just kind of like punching down or yelling at us. He's doing so as a poor man who is living in enemy-occupied territory. He was destined for a criminal's death. He had every reason to be anxious, and yet he tells us to stop. He tells us to cease being anxious. What I I just want to say, first off, Jesus is a man who is worth listening to about our anxiety. He knows what it's like. So Jesus first tells us to stop seeking our own anxious kingdoms. But thankfully, that's not where he he stops. Uh, He says, second that we're supposed to study our Heavenly Father's care. And Jesus does this by directing us to two examples from the natural world. Two examples. He, he says first, in verse 26, he says, Look at the birds. Look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, and yet your Heavenly Father feeds them. 
Are you not of more value than they? Uh, The word Jesus uses for look there, it's a command, and it means something not simply just like kind of notice. It's gaze thoughtfully. It's it's take a second and, and look at them, like really look at them. And Jesus is kind of giving us a, uh, a how much more argument here. Essentially what he's saying is birds don't give much thought to food. They just kind of fly around and do their thing. And yet God feeds them. And then he says, you're much more valuable than birds. And it leaves us with the question, do you really think that your heavenly father won't feed you? If he feeds birds... Do you really think he won't feed you? So Jesus first tells us to look at the birds, and then second, he tells us to consider the lilies. Uh, Think about this again. I want to remind you, Jesus is not saying this from the suburbs. He is saying this as a man with calloused hands, a man who knows what it is to work hard. A guy like that, like a carpenter with scars all over him, is saying, consider the lilies. That's weird. But that's what he's doing. He says, consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. Yet I tell you, even Solomon in all of his glory was not arrayed like one of these. And then he goes on, if God so clothes the grass of the field, which today is alive and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? And again, Jesus, when he says, consider the lilies of the field, He's asking us to think deeply about them, to study them, to take them in. And he wants us to come away with this, that that plants don't really worry about what they look like. They don't really worry about growth. And yet, God makes plants look glorious. He makes trees, I mean, look at all the trees around campus. He makes them look glorious. You are more important than plants. And the question Jesus leaves us with again is, do you really think if God does this for plants that he won't do the same for you? Do you really think he won't clothe you? And then Jesus puts all of this together in verses 31 and 32. He says, Therefore do not be anxious, saying, What shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For the Gentiles seek after all these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them all. I remember we talked last week, if you were here, we talked about how uh, the Gentiles had a certain way of praying. Um, A Gentile was just someone who didn't know the Old Testament scriptures. They weren't in relationship with the covenant God. Uh, And so their style of prayer was to just continually babble. It uh, It was to say the name of the particular God that they wanted to grab their attention. It was to say it over and over and over and over again because they were just trying to desperately get God to look at them. And Jesus is saying that if we focus too much on worrying about what what we should eat, what we're going to drink, what we're going to wear, that we're behaving like someone who doesn't know God. Jesus is is not only saying that worrying is, is useless, which is true, but even more than that, what he's saying is that worrying about our lives It's inappropriate for people who know God as their heavenly father. And I'm not saying that that's not something that Christian people struggle with. I'm speaking to you as, at times, a deeply anxious man. And so if you're here and you're struggling with anxiety, don't hear what I'm not saying. I'm not saying that if you struggle with anxiety that you're not a Christian. 
But what I am saying is that you have resources in your heavenly father that he wants you to take hold of. He wants you to grow and to be less anxious. So anxious worrying about our lives, it's inappropriate for people who know God as their heavenly father. Um, I have a, uh, a little poem up here. Hannah, if you could go to the next slide. Sorry, I didn't tell you about this. It's here. Uh, it's from a guy named uh, Wendell Berry. Uh, he's an author and poet. It's really good. And I think he sums up pretty well uh, what Jesus is saying here. Uh, this is a poem called The Peace of Wild Things. He says, When despair for the world grows in me, and I wake in the night at the least sound, in fear of what my life and my children's lives may be, I go and lie down where the wood drake rests in his beauty on the water, and the great heron feeds. I come into the peace of wild things who do not tax their lives with forethought of grief. I come into the presence of still water, and I feel above me the day-blind stars waiting for their light. For a time I rest in the grace of the world and am free." I think those are, those are beautiful words, and I think they, they gel really well with what Jesus is saying here. Jesus is saying to us, don't tax your lives with forethought of grief. Don't let the fact that things are going to be hard in the future ruin the day-to-day, your day-to-day life. He's saying, don't tax your lives. Instead, lie down where the wood drake rests and study your heavenly Father's care. Take a moment to notice. What might this look like? Uh, I think this is incredibly important uh, for everyone here heading into exams coming up. Uh, we're coming into a time where people tend to get like blinders on, and you really can only think about what is directly ahead of you, right? Like you even go into the stacks and you get in those like little shelf things and you can't even see anyone around you. Like you literally have blinders on. I think when we're heading into a time like this, it's incredibly important for us to think about what does it look like to study our Heavenly Father's care? I think very simply, it could look like uh, when you're walking to class, take the AirPods out. Take the AirPods out and just listen to what's going on around you. Take a second to smell the fall leaves. Notice the beautiful trees. It could take a second to notice the uh, overweight squirrels on campus. They're everywhere. And they're really confident post-COVID. I mean, they are, they are something to see. Check them out. See, I think what Jesus is inviting us to, is he, he's inviting us to be attentive to his good creation that he loves dearly. He's inviting us to be attentive to, to his creation and to sit with the fact that as much as he loves that, he loves us so much more. And if God takes care of things in nature, he's going to take care of you. So Jesus invites us to study our Heavenly Father's care. So first, we've, we've seen uh, that we're going to stop seeking our anxious kingdoms. We've just looked at studying our Heavenly Father's care. And now, finally, Jesus invites us to do something. Jesus invites us to start seeking the secure kingdom of God. Uh, if you would, look with me to verse 33. Uh, Jesus says, But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. Uh, So rather than anxiously seeking after security, even though we long for it, we are supposed to eagerly seek the kingdom of God and his righteousness. 
What does that mean? What does it mean to seek the kingdom of God and his righteousness? Uh, A theologian named John Stott sums it up this way. He says, seeking the kingdom of God and his righteousness, it it means uh, seeking Jesus Christ's rule and reign over everything. So it just means seeking the, the absolute kingship of Jesus. It means making your entire life about uh, enjoying and promoting the kingship of Jesus over every square inch of creation, starting with you. And this kind of introduces us to a paradox. Uh, The paradox is this. We become less anxious and find the security that we long for when we take our eyes off of ourselves. We become less anxious and more secure when we stop worrying so much about our own security. In order to be secure, we have to stop anxiously obsessing over our security. That's what Jesus is saying here. Uh, C.S. Lewis sums this up well in Mere Christianity. He says, aim at heaven and you'll get earth thrown in. Aim at earth and you will get neither. So aim at heaven, seek first the kingdom of God, and you'll get earth thrown in, and these things will be added to you. But if you aim at earth, if you anxiously obsess over your own kingdom, you will get neither. Uh, when Molly and I were uh, first married, we, we joined a gym, lived in Lexington, Kentucky, and we joined a gym. And it was, it was like a really bougie gym. It was really nice. Uh, maybe it wasn't that nice. I just don't really have much experience with gyms, which you're like, that seems obvious. Um, but so we joined this gym, and it was the sort of gym that they provided like kind of a free kind of like health evaluation on the front end, where like a personal trainer would sit down with you and talk about your fitness goals. And I'm like, fitness goals? What does that even mean? Um, <laughs> but like I was sitting there, you know, I, I go to do my, my training session, I sit down with this mountain of a man. I don't know why I remember his name, but it was Dan Spicer. Um, this was like six years ago, y'all. Like, this is a long time ago. Uh, but I sit down with Dan Spicer, who is a giant, like, and he is yoked, like very, very strong man. And he just like slides this piece of paper across the table to me. And it's, it's like, it says your health goals at the top of it. And it has like 50 options. And he asked me to just check any that apply to me and then rank them kind of in order of importance. And there were all sorts of them. And again, like, I didn't really know what any of this mean, but I saw lose weight on there. And I was like, well, that sounds good. I should lose weight. Uh, I didn't see on there, like, maintain your weight and eat whatever you want, which is actually what I was looking for, but (laughs) that's neither here nor there. Um, So I I put lose weight and kind of ranked it as my number one goal. And so I slide this back across the table, um, and I just remember he was looking over it and, like, circling things with a pen, and he's, like, so big that it looks like he's going to break the pen as he's holding it. Uh, But he just looks up at me, and he said, uh, you are setting yourself up for failure if that's your goal. (laughs) I was like, you don't think I can lose weight? (laughs) That's not what he was saying. Uh, What he was saying is, if you want to lose weight, that's a fine thing to want, but you need to aim higher. You need to set a more holistic goal. You need to set a goal like, I don't know, maybe being healthier at 30 than you were at 20. It says, and if you aim at that, it's very possible that you lose weight. But if you make your goal to lose weight, the likelihood is very, very small that that's what's going to happen. I think in the same way, we need to aim higher if we want to be less anxious. We need to aim higher than ourselves. 
You see, Jesus is the king who keeps us secure, not our anxious self-obsession. In order to be less anxious, the simple fact is we cannot be the kings of our lives. We just can't be. Jesus has to be the king. So what does it look like for us to live with Jesus as our king? Uh, What difference might that make in our day-to-day lives? I think, as I was thinking about this, one resource that I think uh, you have a lot of in college, which you probably don't feel this right now, but you do, uh, is time. Time is a resource that you actually have a lot of right now. Um, And what would it look like if Jesus is king over your time? Just as a test case here. Uh, When Jesus isn't king over our time, we live with anxiety. We live with anxiety. Um, We anxiously overwork and burn out because we've got so much stuff that we've got to do. Or we look at all the stuff that we have to do and we anxiously underwork and then shame ourselves into overworking later and then we burn out, right? Is this a familiar pattern for anyone? This is what it looks like to live with anxiety. But when Jesus is king over our time, we live with security. We live with security because Jesus has numbered every single one of our days. He's he's king over everything. And so instead of entering into a day thinking, oh my gosh, I have to do all of this perfectly or everything's going to fall apart, we can enter into a day saying, okay, Jesus has numbered my days. He knows what lies ahead. And you can simply ask with open hands, what do you have for me today? What do I need to do today? What work needs to be done? What person needs to be noticed? Who do you need me to be curious about today? What song do you want me to sing today? You see, in short, when Jesus is king over your life, you're free to be what you are. And what you are is a human being made in the image of God. A human being with limits, a human being with, with gifts and talents, with likes and dislikes. You see, recognizing that Jesus is king and you're not, recognizing that Jesus is God and you're not, it actually makes us a lot less anxious because he's a heck of a lot better king than we are. He knows what he's doing. So throughout this passage, Jesus has kind of been telling us how to be less anxious. Uh, He says we can become less anxious people by stopping, by studying, and by starting. So we stop seeking our own anxious kingdoms. We start studying our Heavenly Father's care, and we start seeking the secure kingdom of God. And, And when Jesus spoke these words atop a hill in Palestine, uh, he was aware very aware of the human temptation to anxiety. Jesus spoke as someone who who knew what it was like. He was also speaking as a man, uh, he was a Jewish man, who would have been steeped in the Bible. And as he was speaking about anxiety, uh, it would be hard for me to imagine him not having scripture from the Old Testament kind of come into his mind. Uh, One that jumps to mind for me is is Proverbs 12.25. It says, anxiety in a man's heart weighs him down but a good word makes him glad. Is that what anxiety feels like? It weighs you down? And then somebody comes with good news and and it makes you feel lighter somehow? 
And I think Jesus, in this passage, he has met us in our anxiety. He has met us in our feeling weighed down, and he has given us a good word that leads to gladness. The words here are beautiful, uh, but something I just want to say in closing, Jesus didn't only give us beautiful words. He gave us himself. Uh, Jesus gave us himself. He went toe-to-toe with the deepest source of our anxiety. He not only told us what to do in our anxiety, he himself confronted it. You see, Jesus is the one who provides for the birds of the air, and yet he knew what it was like to not have enough. On the cross, the God of the universe cried out, I thirst. The one who made every drop of water in the universe was thirsty. You see, Jesus, the one who clothes the flowers of the field, he hung naked on a criminal's cross. And he did this not to merely empathize with us, though he does do that, and that's important. He did this as our substitute. He did this to kill the source of our anxiety. He shouldered our anxiety so that we can live in his security. You see, he suffered the pain of being a spiritual orphan so that we can be adopted sons and daughters of the king of the universe. So that we can know that we have a heavenly father who loves us and cares for us. You see, when this story sinks in, we can become less and less anxious. When this story sinks in, we can cease to be anxious about tomorrow, for tomorrow will be anxious for itself. Friends, if you're gonna if you're gonna be a less anxious person, you have to know that someone's got you. You have to know that someone's got you. You have to know that someone has their eye on you. Your heavenly Father has His eye on you. And if you struggle to believe that, look to Jesus, and see the lengths that He was willing to go to have you. Your heavenly Father has got you. Let's pray.